His message is called Survival Was Never the Goal. That's the name. That's the name of the message. I want to preach a message called Survival Was Never the Goal, a.k.a. Drunken naked. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Baltimore, you're ready. Says this. Now, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Noah said, I'm going to become Napa Valley. I got this. Planted a vineyard. Then he drank the wine and was drunk. There's your drunk. And he became uncovered in his tent. There's your naked. You see where I got the title from? Drunk and naked. And Ham, the father of Canaan, who was Noah's son, he walked in on his father. And he saw the nakedness of his father and he told his two brothers outside. So he walked in on his father just sloppy drunk. And he began to humiliate him and take advantage of him and to make fun of him. But Shem and Japheth, they took a garment, they laid it on both their shoulders, and they went backwards, and they covered the nakedness of their father. Their face were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Let me pause there and preach a message that has nothing to do with today's message. There's no such thing as perfect people. And you are going to see that some of the greatest heroes in your life, they're not perfect. And what I've discovered is when I see someone's imperfections, I have two choices. I can either expose them or I can cover them. Covering is not condoning. It's not saying, oh, it's okay, oh, it's no big deal. But I can either make a fool of them or I can cover them. So it says, so Noah woke from his wine and he, and he knew what the younger son had done to him. Then he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed to be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Jephthah. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. You may not know this, but let me just help you out. You want to thank God that you were born in the New Testament and not the Old Testament. In the New Testament, when you irritate your parents, you just get the back of the hand. You say, what would you say? In the Old Testament, they don't slap you, they curse you. Golly, would you slap me already? No, no, no. They're like, man, your grandkids be cursing you. Your great grand's going to have six toes. And I mean, he's just cursing every generation of his son. It'd be better if you just hit me. I mean, that's a lot better. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this moment in your presence. And it's a bold statement to say that you're here with all the wars and rumors of wars and floods and catastrophes, but you're here. Because you said, wherever two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be also. And by the fact that we know that you're here, we know that healing is here and breakthrough is here and miracles are here because wherever you show up, all that you are is available. So God, I pray that not one person would walk out of this room, out of Baltimore, out of the online experience without an encounter with you. And when you speak, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. Come on, that was weak. Somebody shout amen. Amen. We are in the final week. We're concluding a sermon series that we started three weeks ago called Shipwrecked on Purpose. Shipwrecked on Purpose. And the whole mindset behind this series is that storms happen. 
You are not making it through life without facing trials and hardship. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Life just gets difficult sometimes. One of the reasons why so many of us find ourselves angry at God is because our theology is jacked up. We think that the second that we become Christians or that it's God's job to make sure that we never experience pain or heartache or anything bad happens to us, we have earth confused with heaven. Heaven is the place where there's no sickness and there's no pain and there is no heartache and there is no torment. But this earth here, this earth is broken and God says you're going to face some storms. You're going to face some heartache. You're going to face some difficulty. You will hit a storm. The only question is, when you hit that storm, will that storm make you or will it break you? You see, when you go through a storm, it has an ability to break you down and to cause you to become somebody that you never thought you would stoop to. But in the inverse, it also has the potential to make you and to bring out gifts and talents and abilities that you never thought, a resilience that you didn't even know was in you. The Bible says all things work together for the good of those who are called by God and are walking according to his purpose. You need to understand you may be going through a storm, but God has a purpose on the other side of that storm. He didn't cause the storm, but he will use the storm for your good and for your glory. He didn't cause that divorce, but he's going to use it to bring a confidence and, and an assurity and a faith in you that you would never have. He didn't cause that cancer, but he's going to use it to bring a faith out of you that you know he is able to do above and beyond all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Well, as we conclude this series, I want to preach this message called Survival Was Never the Goal. The goal was never just to get through the storm. The goal was always to thrive on the other side of it. I, I, I've been blessed to not have been in a lot of car accidents in my life. Actually, I think I've only been in one accident. My brother says it's two, but the bumper didn't fall off, so you can't count that as an accident. So as far as I'm concerned, I've only been in one accident, but it was a good one. I was a senior in high school. I was driving the green machine. It's what I called my 1996 Toyota Camry. It was army fatigue green. And I say army fatigue because it was green and rust. And between the green and the rust, it looked like army fatigue. It was, I mean, it was my baby. And I remember my dad sat me down at 16. He said, Stephen, I have money. Your mom has money, but you have nothing. So he said, if you don't get a job and work, you won't have a car. So from 16 to 18, I worked every summer, saved up, bought my car, and you couldn't tell me nothing. I love that car with the love of Christ. I anointed it with a quart of oil every single day because it had a little leak that I couldn't afford to fix. But that thing was my ticket to freedom, and I'm telling you, I did not use it all for good. I used it to skip school and to go to Route 40 and get Sorrento's cheesesteaks, and I was living my life. So one day, I was skipping school, and I was driving, coming back, and I, I had my French fries in my lap, and I was anointing my fries with ketchup and just having the time of my life. And the car in front of me, they started to go. You know how people will go when you're like, they're going, so you go, but you're not really paying attention. And I'm looking at my fries. Next thing I know, my car is in their back seat. I don't know how I got that fast. I don't know how I got there. But I mean, and it was a, listen, if you're going to crash, you might as well do it right. And I did it right. I mean, airbags out of the driver's seat, airbag burns all on my arm. The engine was crumpled and all the guts of the car fell out. I'm just sitting there like, my car 
My dad showed up, called the tow truck, and they put it on the flood. I feel like sometimes the tow truck does more damage to the car than the accident did in the first place. I'm like, be careful with that thing. I look at my dad. I said, Dad, I guess I got to get a new car. He said, no, 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 no. You only get a new car if you have comprehensive insurance. But you couldn't afford comprehensive insurance, so you're going to fix that car. <laughs> so somehow they pieced it back together, and three weeks later, I was driving the same car. So this time I was driving it different. I didn't have my seat rocked back with one hand rocking to the Black Album like, ah. No, no, I was 10 and 2. <laughs> had my seat all the way scooted up. I'm over the dashboard like I'm 98 years old. Turn that music off. I'm concentrating. Every time a car would come into the lane next to me, I'm creeping over on this side. A truck would come, and I mean, I'm almost on the curb. I'm trying to avoid the car so badly. One time, my dad was driving with me. He said, Stephen, you're so afraid of an accident. You're getting ready to cause an accident. Here's what happened. I had gotten through the car accident, but the car accident had gotten on me. It had messed me up psychologically over the weeks after the accident, where I was now looking for a wreck. Because I had been through a wreck. Here's what I've discovered. You can survive a storm, and the storm could be 10 years ago, but the storm could still be in you. I ran into people where the divorce was 20 years ago, and the way they talk about it, you would think it was last week. The cancer diagnosis was 15 years ago, but they talk about it with such a freshness, with such a pain and an agony as if it was three days ago. I've discovered I can survive a storm, but will I thrive on the other side of that storm? This passage that we read, Noah had just gone off of the ark. Have you ever heard of Noah? No, no, we talk about Adam and Eve as if they were the mother and father of all of mankind. Actually, they were, but then it was Noah because God wiped the earth of all humanity. After Adam and Eve, sin just ran rampant. Man said, we don't need God. We can build a tower up to heaven and get to heaven without God. And they turned on each other, and there was such evilness. God says, no, we got to start over. He said, I'm going to find one righteous family, Noah's family. We're going to put them in this ark. We're going to flood the earth, and we are going to start over. And in this passage, Noah had just stepped off of the boat. The first thing Noah could think of to do after he got off the boat was to get drunk. Now, now, you got to understand, this is how committed Noah was to getting turned. There was no liquor store for him to drive to. There was no happy hour. He had to plant grapes, wait for them to grow, harvest them, smash them, wait for them to ferment. He, was he waited about six months for this one party. He said, y'all just wait right there because we're about to turn up. We done survived this flood. Ain't nobody going to stop me. And in his drunken state, got in a fight with his family and ended up cursing his grandson, which the curse landed. We'll talk about how it plays out in Scripture. But here's my thought. The only reason Noah survived the flood was that his family could keep going. And the same people he was living for, he ended up cursing because the storm got in him even though he got through it. I've discovered I can get through difficult seasons of my life, but if I don't get those difficult seasons out of me, I'll end up cursing my future when it's actually my future that I'm living for. 
three quick thoughts, three good thoughts. First one I want you to is this. Storms take a lot out of you. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how resilient you are, how intelligent you are. Storms take a lot out of you. In 2005, it was my freshman year in college at the best university on planet Earth, University of Maryland, College Park. Fear the turtle. Somebody's like, what's so great about Maryland? Well, it's better than Howard. I mean, H-U-U. Watch it, Pastor. All I know is Maryland played Howard last week, and we won 64 to... We're not a football school. We're a marching band school. So, okay, whatever. Anyway, freshman year 2005 was also the year that the Hurricane Katrina hit. Hurricane hit in August 23rd of 2005. In our generation, it was the greatest hurricane that we have ever seen. They estimate over 1,800 people passed away in that one storm. Over 125 billion dollars of damage. It was my freshman year in college, happened in August. Well, March of that year, seven months later, me and a, a bunch of friends, a part of the ministry group that we were in, hundreds of universities around the country, we said, hey, we're going to spend spring break in New Orleans and help them muck out houses and help them recover. Y'all, it was seven months after the storm. We got down there. We were staying in FEMA tents. Y'all, it was like a missions trip. We lived in a tent, slept on a cot, and ate mystery meat. To this day, I don't know what that meat was. They just put so much gravy on it, you couldn't tell. I don't know if it was chicken, it was veal, whatever. They said, listen, it won't kill you. And if it does, you won't feel it, and you won't even know. It's no biggie. But for two weeks during spring break, we went from house to house to house. And look at me. Every house we went to, it looked like the storm had happened yesterday. There were refrigerators that were not open for seven months that were still filled with water. I know, because I was the dummy who opened one. Oh my gosh, the smell. We're pulling drywall out, taking houses down to the studs, putting people's stuff on the front lawn because they didn't have any family to come in to help them with. The storm had passed seven months ago. And here's what kind of irritates me about America. Because the news is for profit, as soon as a story is no longer salacious, they move on to the next. So the rest of the country has moved on, but the people actually affected by the storm are still in the middle of it seven months later. Here's what I find. Sometimes the damage after the storm causes more problems than the actual storm itself. And we think just because we made it through that storm, oh, I'm good now. Divorce papers are signed. I'm good to go. Foreclosure is over. Bankruptcy is over. I got my clean bill of health. I'm good. To, I'm just going on to the next, not realizing that storm may be over, but the damage to your soul is still lingering. One of the reasons I got in trouble with my thumb is because I said, I'm just giving some time. I actually didn't even go to the hospital when I slammed in the door. I just forgot, I'll be all right, put some dirt on it. I, I was literally at an event holding a Coke can, not drinking. They're like, what are you doing? This is my thumb. I'll be all right. Like, you need to get that checked out. Here's what I discovered, that time doesn't heal anything. Time actually makes it worse. You, you know, we could read scripture and you can judge people in scripture because you're not in their seat. By the way, anybody grateful that your life is not in the Bible? All your sins and all your ratchetness is not recorded for the entire world to read. For I'm, I'm grateful that you ain't gonna find Stephen in there. You look at Noah and you say, what kind of man are you? You got your family through the worst storm ever, and the only thing you could think of is to get drunk and to get naked. What were you even doing? We're not going to answer that. 
But I bet if Noel was here to defend himself, he would say, you have no idea what I've been through. Do you understand what it's like to take close to 100 years to build the first boat in history? Noel, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. What's that? It's something that floats on top of water. Why would you need that? Well, because it's going to rain. What's that? Do you know it had never rained on the earth before the flood? The Bible says up to that moment, all the plants are watered from water bubbling up from the dirt. It's going to rain. Rain is when water falls from the sky. This idiot. You see, this is what happens when you believe God. You lose your ever-loving mind. Can you, what, what's going to fall from the sky next? Money? Well, actually, close to 100 years, he was humiliated for building something that people had never seen before. Then after it finally finished, God says, okay, get on the boat. I'm going to take wild animals from everywhere, and there's going to be two of every kind, and we're going to put them on the boat. Can you imagine how stressed Noah was when the lion got on right after the lamb? He said, this is not going to go well. Some of y'all freak over with a bumblebee or a little cicada. Y'all, there were cicadas on the boat. There were mosquitoes on the boat. There were mice on the boat. I feel like Noah's like, I'm upstairs. I ain't coming down until it's over. Then the door closes. One day goes by, two days. Noah's like, I feel like a complete idiot. They're laughing outside, they're partying. Next thing you know, that one drop, then a second drop, then a third drop, and then the sky cracks open and rains come crashing down. Now, I'm telling you, when the rain started, I promise you Noah was excited. Like, he felt vindicated. You, 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 you ever been in a position where, where God finally proved that he was right and, and everybody else is wrong? You've been tithing your whole life and you finally get blessed. You're like, yo, I told you God is for me. He's looking at me like, I told y'all. Next thing you know, the water doesn't stop. Water starts rising. And what used to be laughter now turns to screams. What used to be fingers pointed are now hands scratching at the hull of the boat. And here it is, the people that, that were on Noah's softball team and the people that were at his CrossFit box and all this are screaming, Noah, let us in. Don't leave us out here. Noah said, I can't open the door because I didn't close it. If Noah was here, he would say, do you know what it's like to go to sleep every night to the screams of humanity? Saying, Noah, can you save me? And Noah would say, the worst part wasn't the screams. The worst part was the silence. The worst part was when they weren't screaming anymore. So yeah, I got drunk. Yeah, I was naked. I don't know how it happened. But you probably done the same thing if you had been through what I had been through. But here's what happened to Noah. He didn't realize that even though he survived the storm, like there was psychological damage that took place in that storm. We probably would have called it PTSD if it was 2021. And Noah got out of that boat, but he was not okay. 
And he survived something that ended up getting inside of him that caused him to curse his future when that is the exact reason why he was holding on. Here's my question. How has your storms gotten in you? Yeah, 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 the divorce is over, but have you gotten over it? Yeah, yeah, you made it through that sickness, but, 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 but have you gotten over it? And here's what happens. Without even realizing it, we end up cursing our grandchildren and cursing our future because of what we've been through. And we don't mean it. We won't say, cursed be your future. We'll say things like, blood is thicker than water. I know you're getting married, but you can never trust anything more than family, and we are your family. Come on now. We'll, we'll say things like education is the entire thing that matters in life. Make yourself of your, make something of yourself because you can never trust anybody else. And without even realizing it, some of us are walking with mindsets from storms that our grandparents went through and have passed unto us. Now, you guys know how I preach if you've been here. If you don't, let me help you out. It, it gets better at the end. Don't worry. We're going to smile. We're going to laugh. We're going to shout amen at the end. But in the beginning... I got to give you some truth. It gets worse before it gets better. Are y'all ready? What gets worse is the enemy attacks you the most at the end of your storm, not at the beginning. You remember last week we were talking about Paul in Acts chapter 27 when he made it through the storm. God sent an angel and said, you're going to be able to get through this storm because you have purpose on the other side. He floats to the site of Malta. He gets to the coast. He gets on dry ground. And the Bible says they survived the storm. And the next thing you know, they're making a fire to dry off from the water from the storm. They had just made it through. And the Bible says there was a poisonous snake in the fire. And the snake jumps out and bites Paul. Can you imagine? You just make it through a storm. And now you get bitten by a poisonous snake. Listen, if I'm watching you, I'm saying you're not tithing. There is something that you are doing that has ticked off God. And he is not letting you out. But here's what that's a picture of. The enemy won't attack you when you're at your strongest. The only enemy won't attack you when you're on top of the world and, and you're ready. He will wait till the weakest moment of your life, and that's when he will attack. Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, it says this. When they were looking to attack David, who the Scripture says was the greatest warrior recorded in Scripture, it says this. Now let me choose 12,000 men. They said, here's how we're going to take David out. We're going to overwhelm him. And he said, and I will arise and I will pursue David. When they said they're going to go after him, Baltimore? said, tonight. Pause. Leave the verse up. Can, can, can I just help you out? Some of the dumbest decisions you've ever made in your life, you made them at? Come on now. You must have my sermon notes. Come on. Just think back. Think back through those. I should have never done. When did it happen? After 11 o'clock. You should have just gone to bed. Come on, married folks. Some of the worst arguments you've ever had have happened at? You wake up in the morning mad. What were we fighting about? I can't remember. Can I help you out? You're not evil. You're just tired. And when you're tired, you make poor decisions. The enemy said, no, no, no. Let's wait till David is tired. Let's go at night. It says, we will come upon him while he is weary and weak, and we will make him afraid. When he is tired, we're going to overwhelm him with fear. And all the people who are with him will flee and will strike only the king. Here is the enemy strategy. 
He said, I'm going to overwhelm you, but I'm going to wait until you're tired. And when you're tired, I'm going to bring fear. It's amazing when you're tired how paranoia is just an inch away. You ever been exhausted and you got a text message from your boss? Hey, we need to talk tomorrow. Why do people send those dumb emails? Hey, I need to talk to you. If you're not talking to me right now, don't send the email. Because when I see the text message, we need to talk or I need to talk, my imagination is, oh, I'm fired. It's done. It's done. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to be unemployed, homeless, living under a bridge, eating peanut butter with a baboon named Richard. This is bad. Your imagination is, maybe that's just me. But your exhaustion takes you to a place of paranoia. He said, I'm going to come when he's weary. And then here's what he said. He said, because of that fear, I'm going to isolate him. I'm going to drive everybody away so he is by himself, and that's when I'm going to attack. Hear me. There is nothing like a storm that will tempt you to isolate yourself. Can I be too honest for preaching? I am tired of people asking me about my thumb. Oh, man. Let me your thumb. What do you think happened to my thumb? It's broke. Anybody tired of explaining your storms? Can we just, any tired, tired of people just asking? Hey, what happened to so-and-so? They left. Duh. You see them? Just asking dumb questions. I haven't seen you at work lately. Do you work there anymore? Have you seen me? Then what do you think? If you saw me, I'd... And what happens is because we get tired of explaining our storms, we isolate ourselves, which is exactly what the enemy wants. Now I'm alone, and I'm tired, and I'm susceptible to sin. Not because I'm evil, but because I'm exhausted. Some of our worst decisions are not based on being evil, it's based on being tired. Second thing is this, write this down, write this down. Without rest, the storm is a life sentence. Without rest, without a proper season of recovery, a temporary battle will become a lifetime sentence. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get real teachy, if that's okay, Baltimore County. We're going to preach and shout in a second. But can, can I just help you out practically just for a moment? Which means I have to strategically plan seasons of rest on the other signs of seasons of battles and storms. Whenever I go through a great victory, here's what we don't understand. A great victory indicates a great battle. Just because you won doesn't mean you didn't fight. And the harder the battle is, the more exhausted you are on the other side. And it requires a season to replenish your energy, to rest, to woosah. You ever been to a college graduation? And depending on what degree people get is depending on how they walk across the stage. Somebody gets their undergrad and they're just like, ah, I'm the hated. That person that's getting their master's, they're like, ah, oh, I made it. But let those PhDs walk by and they just like, <laughs> I think I made it. Did I make it? The longer the battle, the more it takes out of you. And watch this. It could be the greatest victory. You ever notice how sometimes you feel the most discouraged after the biggest promotion? 
And you're like, I should be celebrating right now. I'm going to get in trouble. But all I feel like doing is drinking. <laughs> because the fight took something out of you. And if you don't take the time to replenish yourself, that storm's going to follow you for the rest of your life. Let me, let me give you something practical. Every day there's a storm. Every day there's a storm. Every day you're going to face an argument. You're going to run into traffic on 295 and you're going to lose every little bit of Jesus you have. What genius decided to put two lanes between two of the biggest cities on the East Coast? Golly, with potholes everywhere. Every day there's going to be a setback somewhere. John Maxwell said, any leader knows that you never have two good days in a row. He said, God bless you, John Maxwell. You have a storm every single day. You have a storm every single week. You run into storms every year. But, but ah, I'm in trouble, but that's okay. But here's what we've done. We've taken American culture, and we've tried to make it biblical. So because we live in the land of opportunity and ambition and pull myself up by my bootstraps and all these opportunities, we have glorified the grind. Where people actually brag about how hard they work. Man, I'm on my grind. I'm building my thing, man. I only sleep three hours a night. Oh, I'm sorry. You must not have the favor of God on your life. Because the Bible says that God blesses his children with rest. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds it, they that build it in vain. Hear me, rest is not laziness. Rest is strategy. I need to rest daily. I need to rest weekly. I need to have strategic seasons of rest in my life. Now, we're going to take a test. I need you to answer by a show of hands, and I just want to help you out here. Um, it's not trick questions, and every other service before you has failed the test. So hopefully, this is the intelligence service, and you guys are going to get it. You ready? Please don't embarrass your pastor. All right, by a show of hands, how many people, Baltimore, BWI, those watching online, how many people you believe that murder is a sin? Murder is a sin. Oh my gosh, why are your hands not up? Every. Yoli, who am I preaching to? Every service has been the same. It's like, I mean, if you get caught, I guess it is, but it depends on what they did to you. Y'all, it's wrong, okay? It's wrong. Why am I? Why do I have to preach this? Let's try this again. Murder, is it a sin? Okay, thank you. Golly. It's like crazy people. All right, how about stealing? How about stealing? Okay, lying, lying, lying. White lies, white lies, white lies. Black lies, gray lies, purple lies. There's no color to lie. A lie is a lie. By the way, the Bible says you can lie by not telling the whole story too. How about adultery? Adultery, is that, is that, yep, 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 yep. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. All right, got it, cool. All sin. How about working seven days in a row? Can I help you out? Because they're all on the same list. There's not four sins on that list. There's ten. And we all know, at least I thought we know, don't kill each other. That'll be next week's message. Hey, don't kill anybody. End of message. <laughs> Things you don't think you have to preach. Hmm? 
We all know stealing's a sin. We all know you shouldn't lie. We teach our kids that. Adultery, that's a no-no. But for some reason, it never crosses our mind that we're sinning. Watch this. Not against God, but against our own bodies. But I just I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And here's what we don't realize. By not stopping to Sabbath, to rest, and hear me, come to church, worship God, have a time in his presence. That's part of the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is not just going to church. The Sabbath is also taking a step back from the grind and saying, God, I trust you above my ability. And when you don't do that, you bring yesterday's storms into today's promises. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Yeah, you've built a million-dollar company, but you're a miserable person to be around. Yeah, you got your PhD, but in the process, you lost your joy. Yeah, you got a bunch of friends around you, but in the process, you lost yourself. You know what rest does? Rest gives you time to ask the question, who am I? Who have I become and do I even like me? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, he gives power to the weak and those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I don't care what math says. I ain't saying, don't you wait. Oh, no, no, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's what God said. He said, you'll make it further by resting. Yeah. David, come, come, come. You know, you know the quick analogy. We're going to land this plane. All right. Here's one of the reasons why we don't like to rest, because we don't trust God. And we feel like if we rest, we're going to fall behind. You ready? Here we go. So here's what, he's the world, by the way. In every analogy, they're ratchet. I'm a child of God. All right, here we go. Don't wait for me. All right, here we go. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Go ahead. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And here's our fear. If I rest... I will fall behind. I, some of y'all are like, you don't understand. I got a newborn. I can't rest. I, I, I got a new business. I got this. I got that. I'm taking care of my parents. Here's what I've discovered. Life will never allow you to do anything. But life was never your master. You are the controller of your life. And you have to make a decision of how you're going to lead your life. Here's what we miss. The Bible doesn't say they that wait on the Lord will eventually catch up. They said they that wait on the Lord will mount up on wings like eagles. Here's what it really looks like. Go ahead. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And when I'm resting, the world is just catching up because God has accelerated me supernaturally you don't fall behind when you rest you leave room for the supernatural when you rest can I insult you and then I'll encourage you at the end if everything you have in your life you worked 
before. You did it without the favor of God. And you're walking in less than he had for you. Because there's certain things that only he can do that he wants to do. Somebody say amen. Because of the sake of time, I'm just going to give it to you and not preach to you. Hear me. You're made up of three parts. You have your physical body. You have your spirit. And you have your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the type of rest that we need is three parts. It's not just a nap. Some of us need counseling. Because the storm that we went through messed up my mind. You don't know what it's like to watch your father beat your mother for 12 years of your life. And that's not my story. But hear me, I cover my dad. That ain't my story. But, <laughs> Pastor Ron, no, just an analogy. Calm down. Church people. But you don't just make it through a storm like that. And bounce back with a three-day vacation. There's also a recovery, a replenishing that a counselor can never do. Because it's not my mind, it's my spirit. And it's only the presence of God that can rebuild parts of me that were broken. That's why you can come to church exhausted. Not sleep through the message because it's the most entertaining message you ever heard in your life. But you walk out with no sleep, but you're more revived and more joy-filled and more energetic. Why? Because the presence of God rebuilt and renewed something inside of you that no rest, that no sleep, that no time can do. Here, here's one of my, my big concerns, and I'm going to get out of the teacher. We're going to preach, and we're going to land this plane. If I could just, just show you my heart for a sec. I'm really concerned about this world, our country, but more importantly, this church. Because we all went through this storm of a pandemic. And I don't think we know how it's affected us. And just like I got in a car paranoid of getting in another accident, I think we're going to come out of this storm with fear and paranoias that God never called us to walk in. And even though we've survived this storm, we're going to end up cursing our future. Because we haven't stepped back and said, I need a minute. I'm not okay. Can, can I get scientific just for one second? Let me throw out some big words. Uh, dopamine. Oxytocin. Serotonin. Endorphins. These are all chemicals that your body produces. But watch this. The activities that produce those chemicals were stolen from us over the last 18 months. Dopamine is produced through vacations, pleasure, and activities. I don't know about you. The best vacation we had in the last 18 weeks is we went down to Lake Elkhorn in Howard County. <laughs> Spent a couple days by the lake. Oxytocin is produced through physical touch, hugging, and things that married folks do. We ain't going to talk about that, though. It's a different story. <laughs> Serotonin is produced through exercise. Endorphins are produced one way they're produced. Watch this. is through serving other people. So endorphins is what fights off depression and anxiety. So we've been disconnected for 18 months, and we've had over a million suicides. Coincidence? No. We haven't been able to go to our gyms and exercise where serotonin is produced. That creates memory loss, a lack of learning, and a stealing of our happiness. 
Physical touch is what gives us empathy for other people and trust. And dopamine is what gives us literally our, our nerve messages. Listen, God created your body to recreate energy. But fear and isolation literally steals all that God's given us. And if we don't sit back and say, hey, I've been through a storm, but I got to make sure that that storm is not in me. Write this down. We're going to land this plane. Surviving the storm was never the goal. The goal wasn't get to, to get through the storm. The goal was that your family could survive on the other side. So Noah spends over 100 years building this boat to save his family. He gets his family through the storm. And as soon as he gets through the storm, he curses his family. Somebody say Canaan. Canaan was Noah's grandson. And he said, Ham, because you've humiliated me, your children will be cursed. Well, guess what? That curse landed. You ever heard the word Canaan before? Canaan became a great nation and multiple people. And Canaan was the land that God destroyed and gave to the children of Israel. You know why God destroyed that land? Because Canaan became some of the most wicked and evil people on the planet. They became cannibals and began to sacrifice their children. That's where Goliath came from. And God said they became such an abomination that I cannot allow them to stay on the face of the planet. All because Noah wouldn't take a nap. I know I'm making it a little bit more elementary than it actually is, but hear me. One bad day from Noah affected thousands of years. Yeah, God got you through that storm, but are you going to allow the bitterness that you picked up in that storm to be passed to your children's children's children? So two quick questions. Here's the first one. What lies from the enemy did you pick up in those storms that you don't want to take into your future? What habits of mistrust? What personalities of bitterness? You ever heard the term resting face? You ever see some people's resting face? And it looks like they're resting in a morgue. This thing is a song at church. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It's down in your heart, all right, because it's definitely not up on your face. You look at some people's face and you literally say, what have you been through? Because you're wearing it on your face and it becomes a personality. How about it stops here? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I know that's what you've been through, but is that God's best for you? And if it's not God's best for you, you need to reject it. I reject fear. I know sickness came to my family, and I know that I went through that car accident. But fear will not be my portion, and I will not curse my future with fear. He said that he commands his angels to encamp around me, that he is my refuge, my strong tower, my protector. He has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Here's my second question. What truths 
in the storm did you discover that you need to make sure that you speak over your future and never let drop? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, watch this, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen unless you depart from your heart in all the days of your life. And watch this. He said, teach them to your children and your grandchildren. In other words, don't curse your future. Bless it. All the storm wasn't bad. You see, it's in the storm that I discovered he's a healer. It's in the storm that I discovered that he's a provider. It's in the storm that I discovered that he is closer than any friend could ever be. It is in the storm that I discovered he's my refuge. He's my strong tower. He will raise up a standard against the enemy. But the further away you get from your storms, the more amnesia you have. And God said, don't you dare forget what I've done for you. And matter of fact, you make sure you tell your children. Don't you dare walk into your house and tell your kids, hard work bought this. This didn't come from hard work. This came from the grace and the favor of God who enables us to build wealth. How did you beat that cancer? Don't you dare say a doctor or a surgery or some health routine. It was Jehovah Rapha, my healer, the one who touched me and guided that scalpel and made sure that I found everything that I need. I've discovered my future will be whatever I tell it it is. So if I tell my future you can't trust people, my future will be filled with broken relationships. But if I tell my future, no good thing will he withhold from one of those who walk uprightly. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. He has a plan to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me hope and a future. That my gifts are going to open doors for me and bring me before great men. That I have never been forsaken nor begging for bread. That I will have more than enough so that I can be generous on every single occasion. That healing is the children's bread and that he has given me all things because I am a joint heir with Christ. Whatever I declare is what it's going to be. I can't say it any more plain. Don't let the bitterness of the storm you came through cause your tongue to curse your future. Rest long enough to deal with the bitterness so life comes out and not death. Are you blessed? Is God good? Come on. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful and we're thankful that God, you didn't just take us through a storm to survive, but to thrive. Our best days are ahead of us. Somebody needs to hear this. I don't care how old you are. Your best days aren't in your past. They're in your future. There's so much more that God has for you. And you are not a survivor. You're an overcomer. Father God, I pray even now that you'd break off every lie from the storms that we've been through. That fear and rejection and mistrust and perfectionism and self-sufficiency, that it would bow to the name of Jesus. That joy, that hope, that purpose, that wisdom, that skill, that abundance would follow us all the days of our lives. Right where you're sitting with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? 
And just give God a moment to make this time and make this message personal to you. What are some things that you've picked up in past storms that you need to leave in this room and not carry another day of your life? There's some of you under the sound of my voice that you made it through your storm, but you didn't make it through because of God. You made it through because of grit. You muscled your way through that storm. And hear me, whenever you make it through because of grit, it takes more from you than life can ever give to you. God says, I don't want to see you go through one more battle without me. Will you allow me to be a part of your life? If you're in here and you say, Pastor, I've been gritting it out and I'm tired. I, I need not church, not religion. I need God with me. If that's you, you can make that decision right now. We're getting ready to pray a prayer and there's nothing special to this prayer outside of it. It's the cry of your heart to God. As you repeat after me, I'm asking that you would direct it toward God and he will step into your life in this moment. Pray this with me. Say, Father God. Come on, pray it with faith. Say, Father God, thank you for not forgetting about me, for not abandoning me, for not exposing me, but covering me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes, can be erased. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Today, I give you all of me and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate?